0: Michael, this is all very confusing. This is On Markets with Remy Tino and now Mike. Today is Friday, March 26th. And GameStop and Robinhood have been in the news again this week. Uh, I think we're going to touch on that in a little bit. But first, I want to talk about a piece that Tino wrote last week titled, Do As I Say, Not As I Did. I like this piece. It's it's very approachable. It talks about uh, the top 10 investing mistakes that Tino has made over the years and hopefully how to avoid them. Tino, what was the, the inspiration for this? Because I think this is a great piece. I think it's very easy to read. It's very, very easy to understand and it's very relatable. So tell us a little bit about why you wrote it.
1: Well, you know, I I felt like every once in a while, we got to step away from the markets and focus on bigger picture issues. And and I've noticed uh, a lot of things lately. I was actually looking at an interesting statistic this week. uh, Marks the one-year anniversary of uh, of the worst day uh, during the crisis in last March. I think it's March 23rd. And the market since then has exploded. It's been the third highest return in the history of the Dow over a one-year time period. And I think what we're seeing out here right now uh, there are a lot of people that think they're really smart. They think they're really good investors, and whatever they pick just goes up. And uh, you know, I I, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer here, but until you've gotten your face ripped up, uh, ripped off in a few trades. Uh, it is it it's a very humbling experience to realize how wrong you can really be. And you know, we talk a lot about how most mistakes are done or made up in your head, not necessarily in the stocks that you pick in your portfolio. Uh, and I just wanted to try to, my best to help other investors and listeners, frankly, learn from some of the mistakes that I've made. And I've, you know, as a professional investor, you are wrong more times than you're right. And I don't care who you are. Warren Buffett, wrong way more than he's right. But the cool thing about the business. This is when you're right you know when you're right you tend to do a lot better than collectively when you're wrong so that, that really was the inspiration behind the pieces trying to help people you know avoid some of the dumb things that i've done throughout
0: my career and i really love the title do as i say not as i did it, it really makes it approachable you know insinuating that that you know these are mistakes that you have made in in the real world in real life you know it allows the people that are listening today or the, or your readers to understand that you know it's okay to make a mistake and, and not to worry so much about it because even the pros make mistakes and have made a lot of mistakes and it's probably those mistakes that have led them to where they are today.
1: Yeah, look, we don't want to make mistakes. You know, look, when we do dumb things or or or, or uh, embarrassing mistakes, you don't want to think about it. You you want to bury it under the covers and never never ever think about it again. When in fact you're sitting on a phenomenal opportunity to learn something and become a better investor. If you made a bad trade, okay. Break it apart. Where was the mistake? Why did it happen? Learn something. And guess what happens when you do that? You become a better investor. Because this is a weird business. It's not like uh, being a heart surgeon or a lawyer or a CPA where you have to have specific technical knowledge and years of practice. Uh, You you could be a novice investor and just go through this process of learning and you could earn just the same as a professional investor
2: over your career. I think it's tough for people though. I mean, a lot of people find... Just the topic itself, kind of dry and boring, right? It's, I know when I start to read stuff, I'm in the business and I start reading some of this stuff and I, I find my mind sort of drifting at times. I got to go back and reread it. It's, I think it's probably hard for the average person to really dig into the information that's out there. It's out there, but, but you do have to, you know, you do have to learn it and digest it.
1: It is. It can be boring and it can be painful. And, and, and a lot of times too, it could, it could be very cerebral. But I would say that of the investment. Uh, the best investments that I've had as as an investor have not been because I can discount cash flows. It has been because I observed something and went with it and, and it or, or it, it, fl- it flipped a, a switch in my head and it was something that I has been around me but I didn't see it until that specific point you know that one of the things I alluded to in the piece was this uh, when I was <laughs> I was when I was on my Wall Street my fancy Wall Street expense account I was taking clients around during the financial crisis uh, I would I would sometimes be the only table in this fancy steakhouse uh, with clients or one of maybe three tables filled and I started noticing and this is during the depths of the crisis when I was taking. Clients out to talk stocks and whatnot. When I was noticing over the next couple months that it was becoming, uh, each of these restaurants are becoming more occupied. The tables are becoming uh, more and more filled. And it got, I remember one time I took my most important clients and based in Atlanta, Georgia, out to the top restaurant in the city, and they didn't have a table for me. And I looked like a complete moron in front of my clients because I never thought to make a reservation. And then it, it kind of clicked in my head. I'm like, wait a minute, there are a lot of people in this restaurant spending a lot of money. I mean, steaks are like 40 bucks or whatever they were back then. And uh, I started remember, it, it clicked to me that, you know, the airport was pretty full today when I flew down there. And you know, all these things started coming together. I'm like, wait a minute, I think the economy is turning around. And that's actually one of the main reasons why I got bullish in the depths of the crisis. I started to seeing things happening around me. It wasn't
2: because I used Excel. You know, it's funny, we've all been to, you know, lots of meetings in this business and they, they always bring in these guest speakers. And a bunch of years ago, I was at this meeting and they had this guy that, you know, was doing the speaking circuit, but his big claim to fame was he had started a, some sporting goods store. I don't remember if it was one of the ones that has been uh, franchised, I don't know, it was played again or one of those things. But his big secret was he said, you know, when he first started that uh, he got the inspiration because he had taken his son to, you know, Walmart or some other department store to buy a baseball glove. And they went in and, you know, they've got, you know, whatever they have. And the kid wanted a specific baseball glove. And he walked out of the store and looked for a sporting goods store, right, to find this exact baseball glove. And it occurred to him that, you know, if he had walked out of the store and was able to get to a sporting goods store easily, that's where he would go. So every place that he opened a store, he tried to put it in proximity to a Walmart or something like that. And more the better if you could literally walk out the front door of whatever the other store was and see the store. So if you could walk out the front door of a Walmart and see his store, that's where he would do everything he could do to put it, he would pay, you know, ridiculous rent if he had to, whatever, that was his primary thing. And the guy was phenomenally successful and that was his inspiration. I mean, it's as simple as it could be. Yeah, it's amazing what you can learn just by observing and, and, and these, these basic
1: details that don't require a fancy education or a degree or certifications. It's just a matter of, observing and then incorporating that into some type of a a business decision or what I do an investment decision.
0: So we don't have time to go over all 10 in a single episode. So why don't we pick one a week and we'll go through each one and talk about what your inspiration was for each. So the first one is called garbage in garbage out. And honestly, I think this is probably the most appropriate one for what's happening in media these days.
1: Yeah, I've learned that uh, when you criticize the media, they give you a short leash. You can get away with it up to a point, but if you go too far, um, you can get blacklisted very quickly. Or, you know, we're nobodies, but if you are somebody, they can go after you pretty quickly. I mean, this this happened, I used to watch, cnbc and i'm not i'm not naming one in particular fox i used to watch all of them actually bloomberg was was the one i watched a lot as well i mean i was on these all the time and i worked in the trading floor in 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 new york for a number of years and all the tvs were out there it looked really cool and we're always watching the tv you know the financial crisis happened in 2008 and you know i was becoming i think a little bit Uh, I had a couple of years under my belt at that point. I started realizing that a lot of the information they were saying was just wrong or it was total garbage or they were just trying to scare people. And, you know, I go on TV every once in a while. And, you know, it's funny because I've been in the green rooms before these uh, of these studios. And this is a true story. I mean, most of these studios have psychologists that uh, read through. Uh, the headlines and they determined exactly say which exactly one should run first and changing the wordings and whatnot to manipulate, pe- not manipulate people, but to get people hooked and to watch because, you know, they need, they need eyeballs on the screen to watch the, uh, watch the advertisements. And uh, it really, what I realized uh, more than anything was, you know, the, the incentives of the media companies, we all know what they are, is to make money and keep eyeballs on the screen. But at the same time, what I think clicked for me more than anything was investing is boring. Mike, you said, it yourself. I mean, this business is really dry sometimes and and to sit there and tell me that you need five or six networks dedicated 24 7 to report news on the stock market i mean come on it i mean there's there's i don't know how the producers come up with all the content it it is truly amazing and and i i came to the realization that if i just stop watching this stuff maybe my investment decisions will become more sound because if it's nothing more than garbage going into a process then you're gonna have garbage coming out so i stopped watching i haven't watched financial news networks for 12 or 13 years now, I don't know what it is. Uh, At first it was weird, you felt a little disconnected, you didn't really know what was going on, but then you realize, I'll I'll take uh, Jack Bogle's famous quote, the stock market is a giant distraction to the business of investing. And when I took that out, I felt like overnight I became a better investor because I stopped focusing on all these little details that were nothing more than uh, stories that producers put in my head.
2: You know, a few years ago, I think the first time I realized how ridiculous the media can be! And, and really, what it's all about was a bunch of years ago. I used to be friends with a guy that was a meteorologist on like a local affiliate of a, a network. And uh, I was having dinner with him, and you know, he gets recognized because he's sort of a local celebrity. And somebody made some, Somebody said hello to him, and they made some comment about you know you got the greatest job in the mirror, You could be wrong all the time. You never get fired. And I said, you know, after the guy walked away, I said, not not you get sick of hearing that?" And he said, "You know, these people think that we think that we're right." He said, "You know, we know we're wrong." I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, he's like, you know, why do you think we, you know, we predict it's going to be the storm of the century? He said, we know it's going to snow two inches, but we predict 10 inches. He said, because the pressure is so great from the, from the network and from the station, because, you know, people watch because of the weather. They watch local news because of the weather. And if your weather story isn't more sensational than the next, you lose viewers. He said, so, you know, the pressure is unbelievable for me to predict the storm of the century when I know it's, it's going to snow an inch. I mean, look, the media gets a lot of they, they, they get a lot of
1: uh, heat for this type of sensationalism in weather investing, and investing in other areas of the business. But I mean, I, I will stand by them and say, you know, get, you know, we've got freedom of press in this country. And even though their incentives may be uh, des- uh, more aligned for for-profit institutions, I'll take a free press any day over, you know, what some other countries are dealing with. But, you know, you do really need to think about the source of some of this information and and the incentives behind it. And I, I i got to the point where i and, and to be blunt it's not one network or the other right or left or whatever you want to call it i just can't incorporate it, any of it into my analysis i haven't watched one of these shows and i'm not exaggerating at least 12 or 13 years and i've never looked back
0: so we actually talked about this about a month month and a half ago but now is probably a great time to revisit it uh if you're going to tune out you know you know where do you get solid information
1: yeah that's that's a challenge uh you know years ago uh, when I got in the business, you um, you had to pay for information and the people that paid the most got access to the most information. That Those days are over. Regulation doesn't allow that anymore. The internet doesn't allow that anymore through technology. So the challenge today has been, okay, there's too much out there. How do you find it? And uh, it's funny you bring that up because that's something I'm writing about this week. Uh, what are the sources that that not just myself, I use, but the team here uses to figure out exactly what's really going on in the world and credibility and some of the sources that we trust. And I have a very, very short list. But again, going back to this idea, you don't need to be a professional. You don't need to have a huge budget to get access to information anymore. I grew up in the research world in this business. And while I stand behind a lot of the Wall Street research out there, I think a lot of it's very good. I'm coming across these days, I'm coming across research that is on par. It's an argument, sometimes even better than some of the stuff that I saw on Wall Street, and it doesn't cost anything.
2: How do you get people to not pay attention to this stuff though, right? I mean, if they're listening to the podcast, you know, maybe they take it seriously, maybe they don't. But, you know, it's almost irresistible for people to, to watch the news, to listen to the media, to read the paper. How do you convince someone that something they perceive to, you know, to, to be accurate is, is really not?
1: It's very difficult. I mean, I, I, I wrote about this a while ago. It's something I called mad. It's, I think it's a disease that infects Wall Street, MADD, Market Attention Deficit Disorder. And once you get hooked on the news, because these stories are very interesting, but they only have a certain lifespan, so they change the stories so frequently to keep you addicted to what's what's driving the market, what's driving the market. It's hard to disconnect from that because you, you get brainwashed into thinking that this this stuff really does matter. You know, I, I equated it to um, when I was growing up, my my parents or my, my dad specifically decided one day he was going to quit smoking. And I was, I don't know, I was like eight or nine years old and let him like everybody else back in that generation they were addicted to cigarettes and nicotine and what his his strategy was he would wake up one day and he would I don't know start smoking like 8 a.m or whatever it was and then the next day was 9 a.m and then the next day was 10 a.m and he he kind of over the course of like a month or two got to the point where he just stopped smoking entirely so my recommendation to people is something that's similar, you know, watch a little bit. Don't go cold turkey. I mean, it's going to be too much of a mental, uh, too much mental anguish to do that. I just say scale back a little bit. Maybe watch a little bit here and there. The most, e- the easiest things to cut out are anything that has to do with fast money or any show where somebody hits a horn while they're talking about stocks. Those are easy things to get rid of. From there, taper back on the news slowly
2: over time. So if I want to, though, keep tabs on what my investments are doing and what my, you know, how I'm doing financially, what's the best way to do it?
1: Well, I would assume that the financial advisor uh, that you're working with would probably be the best source of information. I mean, because again, remember, you know, your advisor and the firm they work for is aligned with your same similar interest, right? So if they're giving you information or if they're are, are tasked with providing you with that information, they should be giving you information that should have been filtered to some degree to, 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 to get you what you're looking for.
0: So we'd love to get away from the market and the media hype as well, but we also can't stop cold turkey. So let's take that advice. We'll try to wean our way off of it. But that being said, we need to at least touch on GameStop and Robinhood, which uh, two companies that really have nothing to do with each other, but are seemingly inextricably linked these days. Oh,
1: yeah, they're linked. You know, it's, it's funny. They're linked in a, in a huge way. Robinhood just filed uh, or they just announced they're going public this year, which was expected. I cannot wait to read the S1 on that one, which is the filing that they have to give to the SEC before they go public. Because, I mean, it's it's been a very wild ride for both of these companies, but in many ways, uh, Robinhood created GameStop, and now GameStop is now fueling Robinhood. What Robinhood did more than anything else is they basically said uh, the friction cost of trading, okay, so the commissions that you pay your broker to actually execute trades, let's... Let's get rid of those. Let's make money elsewhere. And how they make money is a little technical, but it's an interesting idea. So they drop commission charges. So what does that do? Because there are no friction costs in a transaction, you can create, you, you could turn investing into a video game. You know, buy, sell, buy, sell, buy, sell, buy, sell. You have no idea what you're doing. You don't need research. You can go out and trade. And, and there's some criticism around people that do that. And you know, that's fine. I, I personally don't have an opinion. If people want to go do that, knock yourself out. But that enabled the mania around these meme stocks like GameStop and and AMC and whatnot. And because of that trading activity, that has fueled the revenue, the, the real revenue source for Robinhood in ways that I don't think anybody ever expected. It's been good or bad it's forced them to raise more capital over this past year for, for effectively a margin call from, from the clearinghouses. But now they're going public because of it. It's been a fascinating story. And if, if, if Robinhood's IPO is anything like Airbnbs last year, or for that matter, uh, I forgot the other one, DoorDash uh, or Palantir, there's a number of these IPOs. This could end up being a monster IPO, just monster.
0: So one of the things that we regularly talk about is how we can be a little bit more proactive with our listeners. Um, You know, having the podcast is great, but it's sort of a one-way conversation. Uh, Up until now, we haven't really had a great solution. However, we have recently joined Clubhouse. For those of you not familiar with Clubhouse, it's a new social media app that allows us to create a chat room where we'll talk about a lot of the same things we talk about in this podcast, but it's interactive. So you can ask us questions, tell us about your experiences, leave comments, and hopefully get to know us a little bit better. If you're already on clubhouse then you can find us at on markets if not send us an email at comments at onmarkets.com and we'd be happy to send you an invitation this Podcast is created and presented by Darwin Asset Management LLC and Darwin Advisors LLC, collectively referred to as Darwin. Darwin does not make any representation or warranties and therefore takes no responsibility as to the accuracy, timeliness, suitability, completeness, or relevance of any information contained in this podcast. Any tax or legal information contained in this podcast is general in nature. Always consult an attorney or tax professional regarding your specific legal or tax situation. The information presented does not involve the rendering of personalized investment advice. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk, and there can be no assurance that any investment or strategy will be suitable or profitable for a client's portfolio. All investment strategies have the potential for profit and loss. Past performance may not be indicative of future results. Information presented is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation of any offer to buy or sell the securities mentioned herein.